fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right, it is welcome into the Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We are broadcasting live in a special place for the day today as we are not in Wichita, Kansas. But yes, we are broadcasting live down at the southern border, broadcasting out of McAllen, Texas. The Voice of Reason is coming to you loud and proud. So welcome into the program. Great to have you along for the ride today. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. So uh, first off, yes, made it down here nice and safe. It is extremely hot with 100 plus degree temperatures across the state of Texas, and I have been doing my best to try and stay nice and cool because, as you know, uh, I struggle in those hot temperatures. But nonetheless, I am excited about all that we're doing down here in partnership with the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, and I appreciate them uh, more and more for allowing me to come down and do this with them. The flights, although it is going into Fourth of July weekend, actually not too bad on a Wednesday when we are flying through. Not too bad at all. So we're down here for throughout the day today. We'll be back at it live in the studios there in KQAM and Wichita, Kansas again by tomorrow on Friday to wrap it up and to go into your 4th of July celebrations. Coming up on the program today, obviously since we're broadcasting down here in McAllen, Texas, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of immigration issues today, which coincidentally, there's a lot of that going on in the news as well, but a little bit different perspective. And as this program is on at the border, and we're seeing what's going on down here at the border. It's a quite fascinating topic for sure, and something that needs to be experienced almost firsthand. And as you know, and as we try to broadcast and say on this program, that things are a little bit more complicated than what is said on the mainstream media and just the regular talking points, as we're going to jump into that a little bit throughout the show today and try and break some of that down. But uh, it, it's fascinating to see it firsthand, to see the walls that were built by private hands, walls that were built by state governments here in Texas, obviously, and walls that were built by the federal government from the Bush administration all the way up to the Trump administration, and yes, even from some of the Biden administration, although they don't like to push that a whole lot. Uh, but the issue is such a complicated one that it needs to be understood from all different angles. Now, here's, here's how I'm going to approach this one is Americans for Prosperity's Foundation uh, obviously has their position on immigration, securing the border, trying to stop cartels, trying to stop a mass flood of migrants from all over the world. The uh, really, As we talk about being the melting pot of the United States, we really are the melting pot right here at the border with the point of entrance that we're seeing uh, in McAllen, Texas, throughout the day today. Uh, that, yeah, there is truly a melting pot. There are people from all over the world, not just Mexico, not just parts of Central America, not even just South America, but all over the world coming in to these points of entrance where we're trying to screen individuals. And that should be a cause for concern. And the question that I have for you today to ponder as we go through the program today is, did the United States allow this to happen? And what do I mean by that is throughout the years of enforcement or lack thereof enforcement on immigration policy, did we allow this to get to the point that we're at today by willfully ignoring the situation? Now, Americans for Prosperity Foundation, as I mentioned, while having their position on hashtag securing the border, which every time we share stuff out on social media, that's what we'll be using is secure, uh, secure border on the social media, is they have people from 
both sides discussing this from all different angles. And the cool thing about this tour, which, again, I'm very grateful to be part of and to see this, is the fact that we're seeing numerous different sides of this on numerous different issues. And what I mean by that is not only watching and looking at the wall, literally standing at the at the Rio Grande River and watching individuals try to come across the border, but also looking at the resources and the strain that it puts on resources, for example, water and the water resources that handle both sides of the border on towns like McAllen, Texas here, to the other side of the border with some of the Mexican communities as well. We look at some of the charities down here because, believe it or not, uh, and this may shock you for some, this is not the federal government that is doing the charity work for those that are coming across. Once they process these individuals at a very rapid speed, mind I remind you, that uh, as they screen them, they give them the ticket for the social program, they put them on a bus and they send them out, they still need food, they still need water, they still need housing, they still need resources to function once they get across the border and they're let go by the federal government. So the question is then, who handles that situation? Oh, yeah, private organizations. Oh, yeah, there's an organization that we're going to be seeing later on this afternoon that is the Catholic Charities. And the Catholic Charities, while we're not able to take any photo or video there because it's a very intimate setting where once they've been screened, once they've been taken care of, that these are the private charities trying to give these people enough resources to survive. They're the ones that are handling and taking care of the migrants once they've been processed and let go by the federal government when they say have a nice day and have fun in the grand old U.S. of A. So we're going to be doing a tour through the Catholic Charities a little bit later on this afternoon, and I'm extremely interested to see what this is going to look like, and we actually have an opportunity to volunteer and do what we can at that as well. So we'll be talking about that, but my question is how did we let it get to this point? with immigration and i want to go back not just to recent years but i want to go all the way back to the louisiana purchase if you remember history of the united states the purchasing of essentially the western half of the united states of america that since that purchase we've essentially had a very good relationship with the country of mexico for the most part obviously we've had you know the stand at the alamo and other issues as well but we've had overall a very good relationship with the country of mexico and we've haven't had to worry a whole lot about immigration issues have we overall it's been people go across the border for work and by the way that's still happening here we were talking to our uber driver once we landed here in mcallen heading to our airport and he said that multiple times a day as an uber driver here in mcallen he makes the trip right to the border multiple times a day and we asked him why and he said because there are people that live on the other side of the border that come over here to work and vice versa and as an uber driver he takes them to and from that border essentially still allowing a relatively open border policy for people to transport back and forth now that's the type of open border that's not necessarily a bad thing now is it if people are traveling back and forth from work, just kind of like crossing state lines, if you live in a town that's right on a border between, I don't know, Kansas and Colorado, of Illinois and uh, Indiana, of any whatever state where you live on that border and you cross back and forth, that's a normal thing that happens, and that's uh, reasonable and acceptable when it comes to policy uh, here as well, when it comes to the country of U.S. and Mexico as well. But we've had this issue where we've been able to have this relationship decently until about oh i don't know probably the last 20 years in u.s politics where it became a sensation and a focal point in u.s politics 
because we didn't enforce it for so long of making sure we check papers, making sure things are running smooth. It's just been, you know, we go across the border, we do our deed, we come back, that now it's become so politicized that it's become the issue, but we've been so laxidated on the issue for so long that now are we seeing a problem that could have been prevented because we looked the other way and ignored it for so long. And now that it is becoming an issue, then now it's being, of course, politicized by the other side of the aisle that loves to take hold. Never let a crisis go to waste, remember? Where they have an agenda. They're allowing cartels to come in. They're allowing the drug trafficking, the human trafficking, more so than we've ever seen before. And now we have an issue that's very difficult to actually contain. Now, I want to tie this into the headline that actually we saw just yesterday that ties in beautifully here with the U.S. Supreme Court. And if you remember from a few weeks ago when we've talked about immigration and what the Constitution actually says about immigration policy, and oh, by the way, how the federal government is supposed to be handling immigration based on foreign policy and uh, foreign agents coming into the country and how states, one of the few duty states are not supposed to be handling is immigration. Well, apparently the U.S. Supreme Court, even with its conservative control, has voted a different way. Now, as you know, the Supreme Court is going into their recess probably in the next week or so, which means they're coming out with all their decisions right now. The one we talked about just a couple of days ago with the student loan forgiveness program that is still lingering, and we have not heard, as far as I'm aware, any news on that as of right now. Who knows? I'm at the border traveling, so we may miss that headline when it first comes out. But uh, they came out just yesterday saying, according to TheHill.com, that the U.S. Supreme Court has declared a major victory for the Biden administration when it comes to their immigration policy as they've upheld that Texas and Louisiana do not have standing to bring a suit challenging the administration's immigration enforcement guidelines in federal court. What does that mean? That means that the states do not have the ability to challenge the federal government on how they're enforcing immigration. Say what? I know. The federal government now can do whatever they want to with immigration and states can't do anything about it is the lawsuit that was brought up by Louisiana and Texas uh, came out to say that now they're straining financial resources in the states due to, oh, I don't know, migrants coming in and being on the government time and states using their resources to take care of these individuals cannot claim financial uh, burdens on the federal government for the lack of enforcement and not arresting more illegal immigrants at the federal border. Now, this is, oh, yes, this is coming from a Supreme Court that's supposed to be relatively conservative. According to the decision and the opinion from Justice Brett Kavanaugh, put in there by the Trump administration, said the dispute as an effort by Texas and Louisiana to obtain a court order that would require the Department of Homeland Security to, quote, alter its arrest policies so that the department arrests more non-citizens, says that they cite no precedent, history, or tradition of federal courts entertaining lawsuits of this kind. In fact, they say the Supreme Court held that the, quote, plaintiff lacks standing to bring such a suit when he himself is neither prosecuted nor threatened with prosecution. These states argue the Biden administration's enforcement guidelines uh, have two statutes that include immigration and the Nationality Act and the INA Section 1231A-2. 
Not sure what those mean exactly, but what they're saying is the Fed, the state governments have no prerogative to actually go after the federal government on this issue, making it all the more challenging for the states to actually enforce these immigration policies on their own. Now, one thing we've seen today here at the border, obviously, has been the state of Texas doing what they can with their own special task force with the buoys out in the water at different ports of entrances and other areas as well, where they're trying to handle the issue on their own. But as we've seen... It's been difficult, and you can check out our social media, which you can find at Who's Your Reason on all of our Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. We're going to be taking pictures throughout the day and posting them on what we see, including I'm hoping to see those massive lines of immigrants waiting at those ports of entrances, not just the crossings for the you know trucks and the roads and just going through the open port, but the actual the processing places as well, which we are going to and we'll be checking out throughout the day today, which should be a cause for concern because... I'm looking for a couple of things, personally. I'm looking for, number one, uh, the nationality of who's actually coming in and why they're coming from halfway across the country to try and claim some type of asylum when that's not the way things are actually supposed to be done. Number two, we're also going to be looking for the amount of people and how quickly they're actually processed through. Because if they are processed as quickly as what they're saying then we have a bigger issue on hand. And again, the Supreme Court saying, well, federal government, you pretty much have the full prerogative to do whatever you need to do and not have the states harping on you to enforce things on a more um, aggressive level, to put it at that. So we got a lot to cover today. we got to take a break here right around the corner. When we come back, we'll talk about the strain on some of those resources, what we've seen in the area, and the policies on how this issue has evolved throughout the years when it came to be a major political issue. The Voice Reason broadcasting from McAllen, Texas. Stay right here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, sir. Welcome back into the program. It's the Voice of Reason broadcasting from McAllen, Texas. We're hanging out down here with Americans for Prosperity Foundation as they're giving us the grand tour. By the way, there's about 50 to 60 of us on this tour, so we're kind of seeing it in a mass level. And it's interesting for sure. Eye-opening. By the way, this beautiful this area is beautiful, and I have to admit, I did not realize that there were palm trees in the state of Texas. <laughs> I I was not aware, so that is my fault. I've never been this far south. I got to admit, I've been to Texas one time, and it was nowhere near this far south is Texas. And for those that don't know where McAllen, Texas is, we are at the very southern peninsula tip of Texas, all the way down in the southeast corner, uh, right, literally near the wall which is where we're at throughout the day today but we're at that very southern peninsula tip we're like an hour west of the beach and we see palm trees and yes it is extremely hot and yes i'm doing what i can to try and survive that extreme heat as well hey real quick i want to tell you about my friends at americans for prosperity and americans for prosperity's foundation they're the ones putting on this tour that we are at down here at the border and we appreciate them very much. But Americans for Prosperity always fighting for limited government, government transparency, lower taxes, and fighting for that individual sovereignty, trying to re-energize and reinvigorate the American dream, which is what Americans for Prosperity do. Trying to make Americans 
prosper and do that with their own abilities because that's what we're oh so good at. Check them out, americansforprosperity.org, and of course, Americans for Prosperity Foundation, a separate entity as well that's putting on this tour down here in Texas that I'm at. So one of the tour stops that we're seeing today includes water resources. Now, obviously, that's a big strain everywhere, especially in the Mid-America region where I broadcast from for most of the time because of the extreme drought conditions that we have and how bad it's been with the lack of rain and the agricultural community. And we can go on down that road that we've talked about multiple times because there's just been a couple of years of really hot temperatures and not a whole lot of precipitation, which is a cause for concern. But as we see massive, I mean, thousands upon thousands, thousands of people lined up at ports of entry claiming asylum, claiming that they're here for a refugee status, which, by the way, is not the process of how immigration is supposed to be. But I'm excited to learn more about the inside scoop of how this is really being done internally here. That's not the way this process is supposed to be done. And with that being said, what's that doing on the strain of resources here in the areas? We're going to be talking with later on, and we'll get some audio clips throughout the day to play on the program when we're back in studio tomorrow. But the water resources in the area, the food resources in the area, not just here on the U.S. side, but down on the Mexico side, where a lot of them are waiting in lines along the wall in the tens of thousands. What is this doing to the resources for the communities here and putting a strain on the resources for just the local communities? Now, we hear the argument that we have New York and California that are all upset that the flights are coming into their areas because how dare we actually ship these migrants to their areas because it's putting a strain on their resources when, by the way, they're the ones advocating for the open border policies. But beyond that point, look at the people that are actually here locally dealing with us on a daily basis. It's quite mind-blowing on how they handle this. And it makes me fearful that the ones that are just here trying to live a normal life, trying to go to work every day, trying to just put food on their table, they're the ones that are having to deal with not only water shortages, not only resource shortages here in the area, but then, of course, then the extreme heat and the electric grid that's going down because apparently we have to close down coal plants. Texas seems to be, as much as I love the great state of Texas, seems to be in a bit of a disarray or at least trying to handle the issue the best they can on their own, like we just saw with the Supreme Court that we talked about in the last segment, not allowing states like Texas and Louisiana to file lawsuits against the federal government for not enforcing immigration policy, which you would think if you're not doing your job with a state that has a compact, meaning a contract with the federal government, saying we won't deal with this issue as long as you handle the issue yourself, They're not okay. And the Supreme Court says, no, 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 you can't sue them for that. I know that's their duty. I know that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to enforce it, but you can't go after them for not enforcing it because we don't look at issues like this. That's a very strange position for, I think, a conservative Supreme Court especially to be taking on an issue like this. Nonetheless, uh, states have had to adapt and handle this issue on their own, Texas especially, who's created their own task force and doing everything they can uh, to try and deal with it on the local front. But once they go through, what can they really do? Honestly, once a migrant goes through the border, then what happens? How else can the state handle it other than say, you know what, we're going to take you somewhere else because we can't handle you here, and we're going to take you to New York. We're going to take you to California. We're going to take you to some of these other states where we have to send you because we physically can't deal with you here on the local front. We're out of actual resources. 
and we're seeing that strain. So uh, we'll be having some of that audio here in just a little bit. When did it get this bad? And when did the cartels, here's the bigger question. When did cartels start utilizing this at the U.S. border? Before, we've always heard about how corrupt Mexico was. We always heard about some of the stuff that was coming in, so obviously it's always been there. But when did it really get this bad, and why did it become a national sensation for this to be a major campaign talking point for politicians and only start over the last few years? Did something change? According to the experts we're talking with, with AFPF here down here during the tour, they've said that over the past decade or so, illegal crossings and the catching of illegal crossings has gone from anywhere between a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand a year to nearly one and a half to two million a year over the last decade why we'll talk about that when we come back gotta take a break here it's the voice of reason on a post or on a pre-friday celebration we got one more to talk about when we come back right around the corner stay right here this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, welcome back into the program. It's The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We are broadcasting down from McAllen, Texas with Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And we're hanging out. It is a warm one for a pre-Friday. It is hot, hot, hot. And I feel more patriotic than I think I ever have in my entire life being down here at the southern border going into 4th of July weekend. Why? Because I'm seeing a state right now that is dealing with a major crisis, not just for the state itself, but a national crisis of a massive flood of migrants coming into the country, good and bad, which we'll get to throughout the program today. We're seeing it at a massive level right now, and we're seeing a state hold its head high and deal with it like a man, like a man in the 21st century, and they're dealing with it the best they possibly can with the resources they are utilizing to address this issue on their own because we have a federal government that's not doing it in any way, shape, or form on their own. Here in just a little bit, we're about ready to go into the Catholic Charities and see some of this. I will not be able to broadcast in there, and we'll also not be able to take any photos or videos uh, just because it's individuals' personal lives. And this is a very intimate moment for them as they've been screened through border security. They've been passed on for those that have been able to get approved for asylum, which <laughs> under the Biden administration is not that difficult to do with a two-minute screening in and out. Boom, you're done. So uh, with that being said, we're going to see the intimacy afterwards of what the process is, not by government resources helping these individuals, but private organizations helping these individuals like the Catholic Charities that we're about to go into here in just a bit. And I am extremely excited to hear what these individuals have to say and what it's like to see and witness internally. Afterwards, I'll be able to describe it the best I can, but for the privacy of the individuals there, they ask us not to post or take any photo or video within that facility, and obviously we're going to respect that wholeheartedly. Uh, Going back into this, what is... Uh, when is the better question when did this become a major crisis according to uh according to john fischetti he's the immigration director for the americans for prosperity foundation uh who's kind of helping one of the guides on this tour right now uh he's he told us that over the last decade or so 
This has been a major jump from anywhere between 100 to 150,000 illegal crossings and catches illegally in the in across the 2,000 mile border that we have from Texas all the way to California. Uh, that that went from the 150,000 a year roughly to almost two million every single year just in the last decade. So what happened? What changed? Why did we see just a major jump? on this issue and when did it start becoming a major policy issue for the political parties you got to go back all the way to uh not just uh the reagan administration where this was a bit of a point of conversation but since the reagan administration uh, i know i was a little bit younger on that front and wasn't quite in politics being a child post reagan into the bush administration bush senior but was it a big issue back during bush senior what about bill clinton what about george w bush that's when we started hearing a little bit about it, wasn't it? Maybe just a little. At least from my perspective, from the millennial perspective, the last time that we saw the really big push about immigration didn't come until the Bush ad administration, when George Bush, obviously being from Texas, saw a little bit about it, was a little bit more moderate on the issue. It was a little bit about okay open borders was about, you know, we need uh, workers for the uh, agricultural industry. We need some of the little bit cheaper labor. We, we need it for the corporatist mindset of being able to come in and fill that void, not thinking about necessarily the cartels, which was not a point of conversation, at least not as big as what it was now at that point, and other, uh, and other concerns about human trafficking, drug trafficking, gun trafficking across the southern border. That wasn't really a point of conversation then. It was really more of the theoretical and philosophical mindset of we can't have people coming in illegally. And then the Bush mindset from the Republicans was, well, we need them for workers. We need to expand the work visas. We need them for the agricultural community. So we're just going to go ahead and let it happen. And that was really the stance from the Bush administration. Then along came a guy by the name of Tom Tancredo. And for those that don't remember Tom Tancredo, he was a brief congressman from the state of Colorado. He was also a candidate for governor multiple times in that state. He's a great guy. Uh, I remember in college Republicans, we had him come and speak predominantly on immigration issues. And he was, at that time, the most controversial candidate and the most controversial congressman and individual on this issue because he was about more of a closed-border policy. And mind you, that was not the stance of the Republican Party at that time, or at least the mainstream Bush-era Republican Party. That's not the way the Republican Party actually stood. Uh, they were more of the moderate. George Bush was the conservative at the time, and George Bush was the open border policy to a degree. We didn't have ICE. We didn't really have the Department of Homeland Security until after 9-11. We didn't have this focus on, wait a second, who's coming into our country and what bad malicious things could they potentially be plotting or doing in this country? We need to start looking at who could be coming in to sabotage us from within. And it started on two fronts. It started under the Bush administration's 9-11 policy with concerns about the Middle East, where we were concerned about terrorists coming in, and we were concerned about Osama bin Laden, who openly said that we would be destroyed from within, who had individuals within the country with domestic terrorist cells. That raised a big red flag for people after 9-11 saying, hey, maybe we should pay attention to what's going on at our borders. The other front was the more conservative stance 
of someone like Tom Tancredo who came in and said, hold on here, uh, we need to close the borders. And I remember very vividly with him speaking to our college Republican group back in the day in 2008, 2007, whenever it was, him coming out and literally showing video on the Congressional House floor of people coming across the Rio Grande River with mattresses and dressers and just waltzing across the river and walking right in. And you know what happened during those times that he played those videos live on the House floor? Everybody walked out. No one wanted anything to do with it. It was not a talking point on the national politics. It was not a focus on the campaign trail. It was not a political agenda with a stance you had to have as a candidate running for office on a congressional level or even a presidential level. It was not a point of concern for most individuals. Tom Tancredo in 9-11 in the early 2000s, that's when we started seeing this big issue because, again, we saw illegal crossings at a relatively steady level, and illegal crossing was an open policy of, well, you know, most of them are just workers. They're just coming over to, you know, get the better life, the American dream. They're trying to, you know, just flee the crazy cartels that were down in Mexico that we always heard about, knew about, but never really focused on, to now, oh, no, cartels are actually wanting to come across the border for their own agenda as well because now just like everybody else they see the opportunity they see the streets paved with gold like everybody else and now they're trying to utilize that and take control and use the power as well moving further and further north which by the way when all the cartels do that then that's when we start seeing more crime because all the gangsters for each cartel begin battling each other in our streets and not just the streets of mexico but this didn't become the issue until the early 2000s. Then we saw Donald Trump. And Donald Trump came in and said, we're going to close the border. We're not going to allow this any longer. We need to build the wall. We're going to make Mexico pay for it. <laughs> Remember those arguments? We're going to make Mexico, we're going to build the wall and we're going to make Mexico pay for it. And while some wall was already built because of the Bush administration, when it started becoming a thing, from Barack Obama, who doesn't like to admit it, but did have some wall built as well in immigration policy. All the detention facilities where kids were stripped away from their families, those were built by the Obama administration. Let's remember that little tidbit as well. Then we had Trump come in and just emphasize it more, which was very controversial for the left because while they were closing their eyes and ignoring it and putting their blinders on during the Obama administration, they now had an arson to go after Donald Trump on this issue as well. Now, post-Donald Trump, and I say post-Donald Trump in a quasi-fashion because obviously he's still running for president, but in a quasi-post-Donald Trump era, the new platform for the Republican Party has been now, let's use immigration as a major platform, according to AOL.com, where now the GOP orthodoxy has been Trump's immigration policy. Trump's immigration policy, not the Bush immigration policy, not the policy of Republicans of just wanting to make sure you come in legally into the country and have a good relationship with Mexico, not the fact that Democrats have done the same thing but on a little bit more open border policy. No, no, the Republican orthodoxy, the major Republican platform is now the Donald Trump platform. And because Donald Trump did it, it's really, really bad. Because Donald Trump said it, then it's the hor most horrible thing on the face of the earth. Even though Bush did it before, slightly. Even though Obama stepped it up and did more of it than even George W. Bush did. And now Barack, or, uh, Joe Biden is trying to do a little bit of it as well. 
even though he's trying to advocate for more of an open border policy than really any of the presidents that we've seen in a good long while. No, no, now the Republicans are the evil ones because they are the ones that are enforcing a closed border policy and locking the doors and letting people die on the other side of the wall when they're just trying to make a better life for themselves when we know that's not the case. You know, by the way, one thing that I want to look for while we're down here, and I'm seeing the processing happen, uh, and Ted Cruz had made this comment and questioned immigrants and immigration leaders from ICE about this, where they say they didn't know nothing about this. I'm going to be asking about the bracelets, and I'm going to be looking to see if people are wearing the bracelets, the different colored bracelets, to know what cartel and how much money they owe to each cartel as they try and come in here, as the cartels are the ones potentially human trafficking people in here and uh, having their label based on the type or the number or the color of bracelet that these individuals may be wearing. But by golly, don't remember, open borders. Can't be asking that question, especially from the immigration officers that are trying to process them in a two to three minute time so that way they can move through the thousands of people in the lines as much as possible. Lots more coming up here. One more segment right around the corner for The Voice Reason on a pre-Friday celebration live from McAllen, Texas. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. One more segment here for The Voice of Reason on a pre-Friday and going into 4th of July celebration. Just a programming note for you again. We'll be live back in the studios again tomorrow on Friday going into the weekend. Then we'll be back at it again on Monday not on the radio on 4th of July for Tuesday. So we're just kind of all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, don't worry. We'll have a lot more audio. It's hard to do this as we're live out here, uh, kind of rocking it near the border uh, to be able to actually have the guests and the speakers and the audio on here. So we have, we're collecting it and we'll be airing a lot of that tomorrow on Friday and for our national broadcast again on Saturday. We'll have a lot of this as kind of a recap and talk to a lot of those that we've had here with the tour with Americans for Prosperity's foundation that's given us the tour through the border here in McAllen, Texas. Uh, we'll be doing the recap over the next few days, so stay tuned, and we'll have some really cool bits for you and a recap on what actually happened down here at the southern border, so I am excited about that. Uh, now that we look at the Republican platform on this issue, and the Democrats have always been so good at, again, uh, labeling and being able to create the narrative and create the dialogue better than anybody else, and before anybody else they've now labeled the republican party as having the platform of the donald trump era and now because that name's so tainted and damaged and how evil donald trump has been that means that every republican that enforces any type of or advocates for any type of closed border or enforcing immigration policy or stopping immigrants from just being able to walk in anytime that they want to we've now been labeled as donald trump republicans and remember, the Republican Party, as we mentioned in the last segment, has had kind of a weird history on the platform that they stand for on immigration. We want to follow the laws, we want to follow the rules, but at the same time, eh, you know, just kind of let things be a little loosey-goosey until they've gotten out of hand. And now we're in a situation where we cannot contain the issue any longer. And that's a bit of a concern for most individuals. Here's what we have to do as Republicans 
is the call to action is ta- it, we say this all the time i don't know it sounds like a broken record here on the show take back the narrative Take back the narrative, because if Democrats have been able to label Republicans as the anti-immigration, hating individuals, the Donald Trump orthodoxy, the Donald Trump policies uh, for the Republican platform, then they now control the narrative, and the media is going to run with it, and the Democrats are going to run with it during election season, and they're going to come after Republican candidates left and right because they think that's going to be the easy way to shut us down and keep the Hispanic vote from going Republican. And I'm here to tell you that unless we change that narrative, it could work. And it's very easy to do so. It's not like it's a big challenge for us. It's very easy to do so. All we have to do is start playing the clips from Chuck Todd as he's seeing the Hispanic vote down in Florida with Donald Trump going after his court hearing and seeing all the Cubans go up to him and love him and crowd an entire restaurant because they love being near him and they see the political persecution that he's getting compared to what they saw when they fled countries like Cuba and other places and seeing the political tyranny coming from the left side of the aisle. All we have to do is go back to the family values that Republicans uphold with their faith and with the founding that we have with our three principles of conservatism, which is life, liberty, and private property. And we have to just show up to the Hispanic community everywhere across the country, whether it's Mexican or whether it's Puerto Rican or whether it's Cuban or Venezuelan or Dominican or whoever's here. All we have to do is show up and talk about those issues. We don't even have to try and win them over. All we have to do is show up and show that we care and actually espouse the values that we hold, and we will win the Hispanic populations. Uh, one of the people we will get to meet throughout the tour today is Myra Flores. If you remember Myra Flores, she's the uh, former congresswoman from District Number 34 that represented this district down here for a short time before they changed the districts and ended up losing again as a first congresswoman to be naturally born from mexico and a hardcore extreme republican maga conservative who has a husband that's a border patrol agent as a full-on mexican hispanic that's here now and was a congresswoman all we have to do is win individuals over and we're going to win the narrative we just have to show up And when we show up and we take back the dialogue and we tell them exactly what we really stand for and how we believe in the family values and we believe in the limited government and how we believe in the American dream and how we want to fight back the cartels, which is what they fled from, and how they want to come here in a legal way to come and try and make a better life for themselves and make the immigration process easier, when we do that, then guess what? We're going to win the day and we're going to take that narrative back from the Democrats. That does it for us today. We're going to be back at it live back in Wichita, Kansas tomorrow. Until then, we're going to enjoy the rest of our tour right here in McAllen, Texas. This is the Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Everybody have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you on the radio.